Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Achtung, Achtung. Attention, attention. Attention, attention. <laughs> gee, gee, goddamn, what's happening? Um, hello, and welcome to. Uh, we Could have you pour me another cup of tea, please? <laughs> it is the 6th of June, and as we all know, we have ways, listeners, independent company members, casual people who've stumbled across this podcast for the first time. That is the anniversary. The 76th anniversary, indeed, of D-Day today. Mm. Should have been yesterday, of course. Everyone knows that, but it's today. And uh, in the wake of our Dunkirk specials, we thought we'd at least um, uh, we'll do, do, a D-Day do you something for do something for D-Day. But we're not going to do one for every day of the Overlord campaign. God, one day, imagine <laughs> All the way through seven August. days of it be, would be good, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> Don't go making promises we can't keep, James Holland. I'm, I'm not promising anything. I'm just saying it would be fun. No, it would be it would be fun. Maybe 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 next year. Um, uh, if we're still locked down this days. time next year, yeah. we'll commit to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully, we'll be getting around, sort of, you know, actually walking the ground out rather than. Oh, be lovely. Now, dens. of course, and. It's just not not just walking the ground. It's eating the cheese and drinking the 
side of, of course, the cardos. Of course, of course, of course. Like, big plates of tripe and all yes. that. Now, so, um, well, you know, I mean, here we are to talk about it. You've, you, I mean, you've only gone and written a book about it. So, I mean, it's not like it's not like this is going to be a perfunctory chat, is it? But, but, but one thing that you've and you've mentioned this several times before is when we've talked. There's so much, obviously, uh, stuffed into the D-Day pie. But when you came back to the paperback edition of your book, Normandy 44, because after all, D-Day, D-Day is, of course, only the beginning of this massive campaign. And, and well, I would so say it's not com- even the beginning. I would say it's not even the beginning. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the start of well, the actual invasion. But, but the D-Day operation yeah. begins a lot earlier. Yeah. You know, it's well, a- let's, call it the tip- let's call it the tipping point then. The all right. Where, yeah, I'll have it tips that. from... Yeah, we take that. Okay, great. So, so, um, but the point is, is well, because this time last year there were all the commemorations and Trump looking awkward and and uh, David Haig's play with the word "fuck" in it in front of the Queen and all this sort of um, stuff. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, at Portsmouth, and then the, then the might of the three planes of the RAF. Oh my God! That, do you know what that was? That was <laughs> the single most humiliating thing I've experienced of British power inverted commas. In a very long time, that really was awful. Because I was standing there down there, I was doing sort of BBC stuff on that day, and, and yep. I remember glancing across it, and I could see Trump, and he did look really orange. That's the one thing I remember yeah. about him. But then the RAF fly past, it was just like, why didn't they just send over the BBMF? You know, and just, and they've read arrows, done deal. Yeah, well, well, because... You know, oh, uh, we awful. have four jets and we need to get the air miles on them or BAE will take them back. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So, yeah, it was what do you mean you haven't flown it this month? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. the, the, but you when you came back to your second um, uh, edition, yeah. um, the paperback, wasn't it? Mm. You actually, you did what a lot of authors um, sometimes do. And you said, I've got to read, there's bits I've got to rejig, I've got to rewrite. Well, it's such a it's such a vast subject. It is, and, and and you know, we have our conversations, and we meet people, and we talk to people, and, yeah. and you know, I'm constantly honing what I think I know about this subject. You know, I'm not talking just about D Day yeah. and Normandy. I'm talking about the whole Second World War. You know, I, I you know, I absolutely don't claim to kind of know everything by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I kind of feel I've just scraped oh, the tip of the, the, the tip of the iceberg, and and, and D Day. Yeah. You know, there's other stuff you know you get talking to people and people say stuff and you suddenly go god yeah i haven't really thought about that before that's really interesting um and then there's sort of things that you start i mean particularly that week actually there was a lot of there was you know i was asked to do various talks and i was met a lot of people and you know i just suddenly started thinking god well i should have you know when it came to book i should have kind of um underlined that point a little bit more and I should have done that and so when I when it came to kind of doing the paperback edition of Normandy I said to them look you know I'd quite like to make some changes here um and I wanted to yeah. kind of sort of change some of the personnel around it was an issue it was a sort of question mark over one of the Germans or whether he was you know whether it was all just made up and whether it was real or not and yeah. I, I felt it probably yeah. was real but I felt a bit uncomfortable about it so i Bid yeah. him and put someone else in, and I also got a yeah. guy in. Um, um, I, I, I then read Flamethrower, that uh, memoir of the um, crocodile, mm. and I got a bit obsessed with crocodile, yeah. so I um, I included him in it, which he hadn't been in the original one. So there are quite a few changes, but but the yeah. I suppose one of the key points I just thought was just how flipping good the navy were, and I just felt yeah. I hadn't. I sort of said it, but I kind of I didn't know whether I'd really underlined it enough and i and i was also i've been really struck by this line from general then later field marshal alexander 
he was saying that you know modern warfare should be a brotherhood of air land and sea you know it is it yeah. is it is the army and the air force and the navy all working together and i thought well yeah absolutely and that that's what the allies the western allies do that's what the the british and the americans and canadians are doing um but are the germans doing that no you know are the soviet union doing that no you know are the japanese doing it well they're trying to um but 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 the yeah. interesting thing about that about the japanese is while they have a kind of multifaceted war um uh, way of war they're not joined up because the army and the navy are such loggerheads and they don't have an independent yeah. air force you know they have the naval air force yeah. And, they yeah, have yeah. The, and the army air force so no one's doing it quite as well as the allies the western allies are which of course is why they kind of dominate i guess but 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 you know, yeah. naval power is it, it, such a key part. You just, you know, you just think about what you've got to do in a pre-digital age to organise all that. It, it absolutely well, also, makes you but also, but also, I mean, it's a point Eisenhower makes after the war that it, this is this is also the, the last time you can do this because because it's a pre, because once the atom bomb comes along, a build-up of naval power like, I mean, it's the high, literally, I mean, for, spare the pun, the high watermark of naval power here, isn't yeah. it? Because yeah. you can't do, once the atom bomb comes along, you can't gather that many ships in that kind of space because all the enemy's got to do is drop a drop a nuke on it, and that's the that's the end of that. Yes, and it, and it, so it is it is because after all, after the war, the, the British government um, uh, scuttled vast numbers of ships, don't they? The Attlee mm-hmm. government scuttled scuttled vast numbers of ships by an atom bomb because obviously think well we're never going to be we're never going to be able to do that again, and I think that's partly why the naval picture. Has, has has faded because after all we you you it's really difficult to address history without addressing addressing it from an, an anachronistic point of view where naval power just isn't the thing on people's again pardon the pun on people's radar now is no. it you know we have a reduced navy we aren't the great naval power we are so we've we've kind of forgotten all about it and and when we talk to um steve prince about about um Dunkirk, it and then the during Dunkirk week we 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 stumbled across this again, just how massive, powerful, just exactly what the sinews of the Royal Navy are available, and that's in 1940 before before you know the, the American shipyards come online before British shipyards um really start producing tons and tons of vessels, and 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 it, it is this um. You know, it's this island power stuff that we. we I think we do, we just you know in the age in the age of Spain, easyJet to Spain for a quid. We just don't think of ships shipping. That and yet today, y- yeah, and yet the world moves goes around by ship. I mean, you know, oil is moved yeah, by yeah, ship. Of course, Food is yeah, moved yeah, by ship. Yeah. Literally everything is moved by all freight is moved. Vast majority of freight is moved by ship. Yeah, uh, and and naval power still gives you that kind of flexibility that you you don't have from just air power because of the ability to yeah. move vast amounts of stuff. Uh, and actually, you know, I think there's a an argument. It's a weak argument, but there is an argument that if you were only going to have one of the armed services, you still have the navy because we're an island nation. Because yeah. you know you can have aircraft on on the navy and you can have soldiers on the navy. You know, you can have marines. Well, yeah, or or nukes and it's tried or nukes. That's yeah. actually that's actually how that. That's actually how that's happened. Is the navy got its hands on the deterrent? You know, because one of the one of the problems with the, with the aircraft carriers, went to the bottom carriers, of the sea with it. it, it, it one, of, one of the issues with the aircraft carriers is that you've got aircraft carriers, and that's great, um, but you haven't got the, the escort vessels to go with it. You know, yeah. you, you can't just operate aircraft carriers on their own. You know, yeah. But anyway, right. to go back to 1944, how many ships 
well, the Navy deployed in 1944? Well, it's 1,213 warships for D-Day. I mean, 1,213, of which 892 are in the Royal Navy. So, so the, 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 naval, the naval effort is, is overwhelmingly Royal Navy for D-Day. And yeah. that's because, of course, the yeah. US Navy is busy in the Pacific. And, you know, it's a, it's a totally yeah, yeah. reasonable and fair proportion of, of responsibilities. Um, and obviously, the invasion is coming from Britain. Um, the Royal yeah. Navy is Britain's Navy. So, you know, it makes perfect yeah. sense. Um, it's just, it's important for people to understand that D-Day itself... There, there is a very large proportion which is British, you know, not American, even yeah, yeah. though the narrative yeah. of it is all about kind of people, you know, Tom Hanks and his trembling hands on his water bottle before the, the ramp comes down on, on Omaha Beach. But actually, it's more, you know, it's more complex than that. But I think there's, there's, three, there's three instances where I think uh, that illustrate the just total superiority of, of, the, of the Navy. And I'd like to make this other point, which is people argue the toss about, you know... Man for man, Germans and all the rest of it, and, yeah, and their right. tactical prowess and all that kind of crap. Yeah. But that is just <laughs> land warfare. Okay, when yeah, it comes yeah. to air power and naval power, the Allies, the Western Allies, the British and the Americans and the Canadians are just at the top of the pile by a country mile. I mean, they just leave everyone yeah. standing. When it comes to the Navy, yeah. so the first biggest challenge for the Navy getting across is obviously just the logistics of organising it. Because it's not just getting people onto the beaches, it's then the follow-up stuff. And it's then going back to yeah. England, refilling, coming back over again, back over again, back over again. Yeah. And yeah. what goes where? And, and what fire support are you giving at what particular time? And then you've got to get the gooseberries over. And you've got to get all these ships across, sink them, make a kind of breakwater, all the rest of it. You know, it, it is, the complexity is just absolutely and, and you're mind sweeping the entire time as well. Aren't you? Mind sweeping you, you the whole know. time, but there is no. Just, there is, aside from these sort of the the mind sweeping is is is, I think one of the most impressive and least known and least appreciated operations of the whole thing. This is obviously part of Operation Neptune, yeah. which is the actual naval part of Operation Overlord, the invasion of, of Normandy. The mind sweeping operation is just extraordinary. It involves two hundred and fifty five mind sweepers. I mean, th that is just a huge amount to organise on a really rough sea where the, the, the current is going at, you know, at 90 degrees to where you are, at uh, 45 degrees to the direction in which you're passing. You have got a very, yep. very dense um, minefield to traverse to get through seven, between 7 and 10 miles off the Normandy coast. And if you haven't cleared it, your whole invasion force is going to be yep. absolutely stuffed. Yeah. So you've got to clear it's, these it's, channels. So how do you do that when mines are not staying yeah. static? You know, they're, they're sort of sweeping all over the place. And, and there's this swell. So it's an incredibly complex operation, which involves marking, ta effectively taping, is what you would do if it was on the ground. Yeah. You're taping your channel for, you know, so yeah. if you're going through a minefield on the ground, what you do is you get little white tape and you put it down the ground and you go, okay, that is the cleared channel. Don't step yep. either side of that white line. But you can't do that yep. on sea. So what you have to do is you have to have these Dan boys, which are these little kind of, they're boys with a little wire on and a little flag. And you have to mark those. But first of all, you've actually got to clear the channel. So this is incredibly complex. And, and what you have is you have these minesweepers operating together to sweep a channel. So that they're, they're kind of, you know, you said, well, you've seen those sort of um, photographs of harvesters on the plains of, of, of Canada, yeah. on the prairie. Yeah, and yeah. there's kind of sort of, 
four of them all in a row, sort of slightly staggered, and they're just munching through this huge great wheat field. It's sort of like that with these minesweepers. And each of them have got these wires on them because the mines are under the surface. So they're on they're on yeah. weights and they're on a wire. And so what you've got to do is cut the wire and then destroy the mine. Surface the mine. Surface destroy the mine and destroy it. Yeah. And you've got to do that head of the of the channel. You can't start sweeping the channel too early because then the Germans will know what you're up to. So you've got to do it yeah. only like an hour or two ahead of the main invasion force. So, you know, no pressure then. Uh, and and you have yeah. these, these these they're like sort of fishing hooks, fishing lines effectively, but with, with cutters on them called kites and otters. And, and, and these have to sweep and just try and cut the wires. Um, yeah. And then you've got to destroy them. And they do it across every single beach. They achieve those channels, the two channels, per a mile wide per invasion beach. And it is a hundred percent successful. It is an it's extraordinary. It is. It's so complicated. And they spent weeks trying to work out how they were going to do this. I mean, weeks trying to. Uh, how yeah. do we actually do this? I think it's absolutely breathtaking how how brilliant that was done. And they never get any praise. I mean, they're never mentioned. I mean, it's just astonishing. Well, they're like it's. But it's like a train it's just a running given. on time, isn't it? No yeah. one notices. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's only when the train's late that anyone complains about the train. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it, I mean, it, the, the other thing, the other thing, of course, to remember about D-Day, and again, and again, it's sort of, it, it's sort of, kind of going back to the, the sort of original point we were making is that D-Day is part of a continuum of activity. Right. It isn't a. It isn't. It isn't um, a, a singular moment, a yeah. singularity. It's part of this ongoing rolling continuum of activity that you know that, that uh, 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 and again and we've talked about this before that you know the Dieppe raid is the one where people go oh lessons learned at Dieppe were applied in in, in Normandy well yeah but lessons learned in in, in North Africa and in Sicily mm. and uh, uh, you know this ongoing continuum rather than you know and again that's the, the kind of mistake to make where you if you think of the I mean Montgomery famously said apparently there was to be a second front I have been fighting myself on a number of fronts. I suppose they have some other numbers, number five or number six. Number two seems to have been missed out. So he's making a, but he's making an excellent point. Yeah, he is. Which this, this, it's politically known as the second front, so it becomes known as that, um, uh, uh, you know, in popular... Oh, that's the front door. We'll just let that moment pass. Some more models? Uh, it probably is. I had a dingo arrive yesterday. Um, uh <laughs> Um, uh, anyway, the, the point is the, the point is the, it becomes the second front in popular imagination and everything. Yeah. But but and and then you get the gr- gr- the grim business of people calling people in Italy a D Day Dodgers and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But actually, it is it's part of this uh, combined operations continuum, isn't it? D Day mm. and, and and of course it isn't the last amphibious landing either no. that the Allies do. It isn't the it isn't the the end. No. In that respect, because you've got Walkeren to come, you've got Dragoon, yep. you know, you've got uh, th- th- all this stuff still ju- going on. Mm. And the Navy uh, is it, it, sort of, um, the Navy sort of like the Army's midwife on these occasions, yes. isn't it? Delivering, yeah. the, delivering the baby and hoping that, the, that it doesn't get dropped, basically, and, uh, 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 in each of these 100%. circumstances. Yeah. And just think what, the, you know, what they're also bringing over. I mean, you know, it, 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 yeah. people also tend to think of, 
you know, in terms of sort of men and, and rifles and ammo and, and all the rest of it. But they're also bringing over kind of gargantuan numbers of bulldozers and graders and PSP yep. so they can make airfields yep. and stuff. But let me give you two more examples. Where I, think, I think the Navy is just is absolutely stupendously good. So first of all, is, is Longsumer. It's, it's one of the kind of one of the sites that people go to that you go to Omaha Beach, you go to the, the, um, um, to the American Cemetery, and then you sort of cut along the towards Aramage and before you get to uh, the remains of, of of the Mulberry Harbour there's the detour yeah. to Long Sumer and there are those four great whopping great casements with their naval guns inside and I think yeah. it's on the second or third one you can see that the shield around the gun so the, so for those who haven't been there they're huge great sort of domed yeah. um, concrete um, inside is a, at the bottom is a surrounded by more concrete is a sort of is an aperture where there is a whopping great gun and the gun has a kind of sort of yeah. steel shield around it sort of armor plate shield and you can see that that on the left hand side of the shield it is being completely smashed and you can see the trajectory of this shell that has come through smashed the shield and then gouged this huge lozenge shaped groove out of the side of the breach and totally destroyed that gun that gun is no longer going to work now, that was fired by HMS Ajax, which is a light cruiser, from six miles away. Now, no GPS, no laser tracking, nothing. That is just yep. good old-fashioned, know-where-you-stand practice. practice and amazing gunnery. Practice makes perfect. 100%. Yep. It's just... It is amazing. You, you Again, when you're standing there, and you, you, what you see is a smashed shield and a groove, and you just think, oh, that's quite interesting. But then if you just take a few steps back and actually just think about what has been involved to achieve that it is it is just mm. gunnery of the highest highest caliber uh, and you know there's not many there's not many navies in the world that can do that you know that that is just yeah. it, it it's amazing and then the third point i want to make well, is, also, is, is yeah go on. but also the but the, but the Royal Navy made sure there aren't any other navies that can do that because they've sent them to the bottom of the ocean or trapped them in fjords in, yeah, uh, right. in Norway. Yeah, they absolutely uh, have. You know, uh, because, because the other thing is, is all the things we're talking about here, you can't do that um, unless you've created, you know, air superiority, air supremacy is the thing that gets talked about an awful lot hmm. um, in the progress of the, of the history of the Second World War because aerial warfare is novel. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the Battle of Britain. That is the first time there's ever, there was ever an encounter like that yeah. where, two, where actually two air forces without a tactical army element um, to consider meet one another and fight purely for air superiority or whatever. And, and you know, allied, the Allies have air supremacy in Normandy and it's supremacy, not superiority in Normandy. Yeah. And then the, from, from then onwards, and, you know, and that's a thing that's a thing that rightfully is considered. Mm. The idea of naval supremacy, uh, because it's just it's, your, it's, 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 it's like your train analogy again, though. It's just it's just yeah. so taken for granted that it's ignored. Yeah, but but I think yeah, that's wrong. Exactly. I, I don't think it should be ignored. I think it should be completely celebrated, and I, and I think it's yeah. it's absolutely amazing. And yeah, so the the third point I wanted to make is is Omaha Beach, which is which is endlessly fascinating, of course. But you know yeah. you. you it's it's worth just analysing how many defenders there are, German defenders there are on Omaha Beach, and you know it, the way it's depicted because of Saving Private Orion, you you just assume there's kind of thousands of Germans sort of manning every inch of the of the bluffs, you know, all with machine guns and eighty eight millimeters and all the rest of it. You know, in actual fact, yeah. there's eighty four machine guns along that stretch. There's about three hundred three hundred fifty men tops um, manning the whole yeah. thing. There's only thirty two guns, of which the two largest are. Um, 88 millimeter 
but there's just two 88mm. The rest are 50mm and 75mm. Most of them are 50mm. So in other words, by yeah. 1944 standards, you know, quite small calibre. And when we're talking about 50mm, 88mm, what we're talking about is the diameter of the shell that is being fired. Um, so 88mm, you know, that's 8.8 centimetres. That's a diameter shell. You know, that's, that's quite a big bad boy. Um, but opposing them are 183 guns of over 90 millimeter. You know, some of which are kind of, you know, 14 inch. Um, well, I don't know what 14 inches, but I'm going to look at that. It's 14 inches is like 300, it's more than a foot. 320 millimeters. You know, so it's a really big boy. You know, so, uh, and that fire support is just absolutely enormous. Now, it's true that there are some field guns further inland, you know, a mile or two back from the coast, which are firing out to sea and all the rest of it and are, are, are dangerous. But, but, you know, in terms of firepower, it is an absolute mismatch. And people always kind of think, oh, you yeah. know, the, the infantry are go- coming off and, and, you know, all they've got is machine guns against this kind of wall of, of, of ger- German guns. Well, it's just not true, you know. You know, because yeah. it's not just the 183 main guns that these, these these warships have. They've also got pom-poms and, and, and you know, which are quick-firing, yeah. you know, 20mm, 40mm cannons, which they can traverse horizontally and fire at the coast as well. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if you're a German machine gunner uh, or, or even just a gunner on your 50mm gun and you're being pounded by destroyers and light cruisers and, and even heavy cruisers and even a, a battleship, you know, every time that shell comes in, boom, you know, lots of dust. What are you going to yep. do? You're going to duck down, aren't you? And if you're ducking down, crouching, covering your head and wishing wishing to God you could be with your mother um, and anywhere but here, you're not going to be firing a gun, are you? Yeah. Well, but but this is the... But this, again, uh, uh, attacking is difficult, um, uh, you know. It is, uh, of course. It is the... Of course, and and this is the thing. This is why this is why uh, why what happens in that sector on Omaha Beach happens is that attacking is hard. Attacking against automatic weapons is difficult, which is why you need this colossal preponderance of of, of artillery and and uh, uh, and gunnery because because that's the only way you're going to make this work. And, and, and very often, you know, de- de- debates about the Allies devolve into this, oh, well, you know, they have, they have this sort of material preponderance. They outgun the other side, almost like there's something... Cheating. Uh, unfair about it or cheating. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and you know, I, I, I'm entirely comfortable with the idea that, that the, Allies, the Allies to attack the Germans completely saturate somewhere with artillery before, before one guy gets off a boat. I, why wouldn't you do that? And it's, it sort of characterises the First World War thing. You know, it's a First World War, massive artillery barrage, and then in you go. You know, you look at the, the you, you look at this, this is exactly the same thing. But because it's naval gunnery, people aren't thinking of it. And you know, and but a, they should be thinking of it. Attacking is hard. It is yeah. really hard. Um, but but again, you know, you look at Omaha Beach, and it is really interesting looking at all those after-action reports because the Americans are very very good about doing all this. And every single assault yep. platoon commander that survived had to write a report. Uh, and yep. and and even in the 29th Infantry, which is one of the ones that gets hammered at the Verville draw at the at the uh, western end yep. of Omaha Beach, and that's the bit that's yep. being really depicted in the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan. There are lots of, of uh, there are a number where it goes, you know, got off the beach with one dead, two wounded. Yeah. You know, got off the beach with yeah. one wounded. I mean, you know, it is not the wholesale slaughter that everyone 
thinks it is. You know, in yeah. parts then, it absolutely was. Uh, yeah. uh, it depends where you were and what time you landed. But that, but, that but was, again, this is this is. But again, this is part of the sort of the the, the way people look at D Day hang up, isn't it? Is that is that f- the that first morning of the battle isn't the point. It's the point. You, it's getting off the beach that's more important than getting on the beach, isn't it? Anyone can get on. You know, anyone can get on a beach. Getting on a beach is one thing. Anzio is a good example. It's getting stuck that's the next thing. And Utah Beach, which of course goes to much easier, easier progress, they then take ages <clears throat> to come off the beach yes. and make slower progress than, in fact, the pe- the guys at Omaha do. Yeah, that that the Omaha gets off to this in this sector to this sticky start but then actually they're miles inland quite quickly utah beach they 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 land without too much drama and then don't get off the beach well you're absolutely right about that and and one of the great advantages one of the disadvantages of when you're attacking omaha beach is you've got these bluffs from which the enemy can point guns at you and shoot you which you don't have so much at Utah Beach, but the problem with Utah Beach is you've then got this flooded area immediately behind the dunes, yeah, yeah. which is, a, yeah. as you say, it's an absolute bitch. Where, whereas, yeah. because of the high ground, you haven't got any flooding at Omaha. So once you've actually yeah. got the yeah, bluffs, yeah. you're it's it's yeah. it's exactly not and, and, and plain sailing. You come exactly, down to one of those, yeah, exactly, and you come down to one of those compared to what things, you know, like that yes. we've talked about before, you know, and you know. Actually, if you want to look at which beach works best, you you need to compare how the thing happens. Ha, uh, uh, one of the things you really need to consider what happens next. What happens on well, D plus one? Quite because you know? well, and D plus up to D plus fourteen. Because what's really interesting about the fourth yeah. infantry division is is uh, everyone sort of goes, well, you know, the amazing thing about that was on D Day. Do you know what? They had fewer accidents than they did on Slapton Sands. A few fewer dead than yeah. on Slapton Sands. You go. Yeah. yeah, but fast forward two weeks, they've got hundred percent casualties in the front line. You know, they're frontline infantry companies. Yeah. It's a man a yard or something. A man a yard of ground. I mean, the the losses of, you know, whereas the 1st Infantry Division, you know, they go into the centre of the line towards Comor and and comparatively speaking, compared to 29th Infantry and certainly compared to the 4th Infantry that land at Utah Beach, they're very small casualties. I mean, they've earned it. They've been in Tunisia, they've been in Sicily and all the rest of it, you know, so they need a bit of slack of time. But it's not not slack, but I mean, it's just, you know, easier time of it compared to everybody else. But yeah, 4th Infantry just get absolutely hammered in the the days and couple of weeks that follows D-Day. So yeah, absolutely spot on. Okay, James, hold that thought. Um, We're going to take a quick break now. And when we get back, more D-Day. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. It's June the 6th. There's only one thing we could possibly be talking about. It's D-Day. When you start peeling this, the D-Day onion, mm. it, it, it's it's endless, isn't yeah. it? I mean, the, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, and you can zoom right down into, and we're very, very, uh, one of the first podcasts we did, you know, uh, uh, Tim Rosevere, Major Tim Rosevere at oh, Charlie. Oh, yes. With I'm Sapa so glad Beachy you put me on falling off the trailer. All that sort of stuff, and then all the way back out to to the likes of, to, to you know, to Montgomery presenting the plan at St Paul's School, yes. and as you say, everyone everyone going, yeah, that is the, that's the plan we've all agreed on. Rather, it's than, the best plan. There is oh, no, there is fiend. no other plan. There's no <laughs> other plan you could have put in. I don't think. <laughs> I just, I still uh. cannot get over how 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 strung up people get about flipping con on day one, day one. On yeah. D-Day. You know, I was talking to I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who's a he's a really entrepreneurial businessman, incredibly successful. 
And he was just yeah. talking about kind of sort of life generally. And he said, so it's really important to always have, um, to give people aims, which are an objectives, which are at the absolute outer reach of what can be achieved. Because what you never want to do is to have complacency. You never want people to kind of yeah. reach that goal and then go, okay, now what? Yeah. And I thought, that's Miles Dempsey. That's exactly that is exactly Miles Dempsey's leadership well, style. Well, it's but it's but it's like but it's also like the the arguments that then follow about the Overlord battle is that you know oh it was meant to be a breakout but it wasn't. Are you really going to tell men? By the way, what we need you to do is a trip the Germans for three days. It's going to be costly, but uh, uh, you know <laughs> you uh, probably uh, die. it's going to be costly. But you're pro- you, a load of you are going to die, but on balance, you know that's actually the way we're going to do. We're going to win this. No, you've got to say. And if this goes well, chaps. We'll break out and the war will and end. We'll all be home by Christmas. The war will end before Christmas. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what, what else? You got? and obviously, then you get into you know, there's the balancing act of of telling people things truthfully, but also, but also giving them something to to aim at. I mean, this is it, it, it's all it's 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 obviously and and you know, Monty says a thing about he says uh, Jonathan Ware posted these earlier on Twitter, so I credit where it's due. I'm dealing in men's lives, and all I can afford is one mistake can't allow anyone to make a second right so so of, of course part of in the mix is saying to people i want you to i want you to try and you know if if all goes well we'll take con that's what he's saying he's not saying if we don't he's also not saying if we don't take con day one we're screwed which is the sort of implication the offensives failed if we don't take con day one but also he's not saying let's take con on day one that's miles dempsey you know, no, he, know. He, know he's saying what okay what let, you know let's just be clear about this okay you know monty's brief is the overview of the campaign you know it, it is so yeah. the first thing secure the flanks get on make sure that that you know and i and i've i've said this so many times but the most single most important thing about any d-day whether it be torch whether it be Salerno, whether it be Husky in yeah. Sicily, whether it be Overlord in Normandy, is that it doesn't fail. <laughs> that, that, that trumps yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. everything. So, yeah. and, and if it doesn't fail, that is a massive, massive tick. Because if it doesn't fail, that means you're going to win. <laughs> the kind of yeah. minutiae yeah, yeah. Of, 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 of how it happens is kind of, in the big scheme of things, neither here nor there. So, yeah. What Monty does is say, okay, what we need is five beaches, landing beaches. Six would be great. It'd be yeah. great to have band on the other side of the River Orme, but we haven't got enough shipping for that. Shipping shipping constraints, despite having a, a, an invasion fleet of, of nearly 7,000 vessels in total and 4,127 yeah. landing craft, it's still not quite enough um, yeah. to do what they want to do comfortably. But it's enough to do to make sure it works. So secure the flanks of the airborne operations, have the five invasion beaches, um, then it is up to the individual army commanders to then work out yeah. their objectives. Yeah. Now, 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 in consultation course, with Freddie Monty, Morgan of course, is... but 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 you know, it is it is Dempsey who says, "Let's get Con on day one." Why does yeah. Dempsey say that? Because it's ten miles from the beaches. The previous year, in July 1943, he is 13 Corps commander, and his D-Day objective is Syracuse, which is ten yeah. miles from the Avila invasion beaches which is achieved yeah so it's a perfectly reasonable assumption it, it, he knows yeah. that it's you know at the outer reach of what can be done but let's have it because we don't want to kind of get there and then not know what to do it's not like yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. campaign yeah. 
fall, you know, but succeeds or fails on whether the whether con falls on day one. It's just that's just nonsense. No, no. But but uh, now I'm right in thinking. So Cossack in uh, late '43. Have it, Freddie Morgan? It's Freddie Morgan, isn't it? Yeah, he's, he's appointed he's in April 1943. Is when he first gets who, the, gets the post. right. So, so bef- before even before Sicily, and he's been told crack on with figuring out how we how we open yeah. the second the second front right um, in Northwest Europe. How we how we you know get to fight the Germans closest to Germany? Yeah, and. He he delivers a, and, and you know it, depending on how you look at it there are there are, there are uh, Morgan's advocates and then there are those who go oh well you know whatever um, because because Montgomery then leaves Italy and is uh, given that job yeah and told right okay get on with sorting this out and and Morgan's plan is smaller isn't it it's three beaches isn't it it's yeah because it, he's given he's given less you know he's given less material and resources to to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Montgomery arrives and goes, "Nah, we've got to completely beef this up, change it," and that, that you know, which is obviously part of the argument that's going on at Cossack at the time. Anyway, yeah. that they're they're having this debate about how big, what they can actually do, yes, what they need to, what they. I mean, one of the things, one of the things, of course, I think is always always worth bearing in mind about Allied effort is it's always kind of six months um, ahead of of its ideal equipment state. Isn't it? So yes. if you'd done D Day, yeah. if you'd done or done D Day a year later, you'd have been able to land on that on a at Bure. You'd have been able to do everything that you want to do. It's like Market Garden in September. If you'd done that the, the next year, you'd have been able to land everyone in one lift. The, 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 the Allies are always slightly slightly behind, but that's because they they want to. They actually they they're splitting the difference and trying to win the war as soon as possible, as yes. soon as, as they can do it, rather yep. than. Waiting for the kit, kit actually to catch up, which of course is the you know one of the, th- the interesting things about the Pershing tank. Of course, is it's ready, could have been ready for D Day, but they think no, we'll just go with the Sherman because you know let's just get on with let's just get on with it. Well, it's also because the Pershing everything. is really heavy and, and because yeah, yeah exactly, but that's and a, because exactly, you've so got to get a, you know you've got to get over broken bridges and and it's too yeah, heavy for that yeah. and. Uh, and yeah, yeah. it takes up and more all space the other on a Liberty ship. You know, you, exactly. you, you get and more all the other power. equipment that reflects that won't be ready yet. So you just go, well, we'll go, we'll go with what we got. And so the Allies, like I said, so the Allies are always basically kind of, kind of ahead of the ideal kit circumstance. Even though, you, like you, like we start right at the start of this, the naval effort is gigantic. It's yeah. still not quite ideal. No, which is sort of amazing, really, isn't it? I mean, that, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the kit thing is, it's ah. just, a, it's, a, it's a, you know, you're going down a rabbit hole that, that really doesn't need to be got down. I mean, the interesting thing about it is, is the amount of complaints <laughs> that there were from people at the time. But, but you know, give me an army in history that hasn't complained and had kit envy of yeah. the enemy. I mean, you, know, yeah, you always, I'm, always do. And everyone always sees yeah. tigers lurking around every hedge and, you know, and, well, and sure everyone's, hot, everything's hot an 88 and... Yeah, yeah. Hot lights at Thermopylae going. God, they, those Persians have got really they've got, got cool helmets, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly, get, exactly. It, it, you know, it's 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 it part ends. and parcel. Um, but you know, the way the Allies have worked out their way of war is to, is to have vast amounts of firepower. Uh, uh, you know, you you yeah. you go doubt the enemy. What they've discovered is that the Germans always counterattack. So you 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 dangle a carrot in front of them to make them do that, which is the infantry and the armor, which is why they suffer so appallingly. Yeah. But because they're actually a comparatively small proportion of the actual army itself, um, you know, the casualties yeah. in total are kind of hard, but but they're, they're terrible, but but kind of manageable. 
But that's yeah. how you get them. And then the moment the Germans emerge from their kind of foxholes and their camouflage out into the open to, to do their counterattack, that's when you hammer them, you know, with everything you've yeah, got, yeah, yeah. whether it be offshore naval yeah. power, whether it be artillery, whether it be air power, yeah. you know. It's a very effective way of doing it. over jeeps. That's what the, that's what the airborne yeah. soldiers are, you know, those sh- when, the shelling, when the shelling comes in... Yeah. Uh, with their naval f- FOOs, you know they go. Oh, they, 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 it's, it's some guy on Pegasus Bridge, I think. No, they, they're, good. they're firing jeeps over, sir, because the shells are so big. Yeah. The soldiers have never seen shells this big. No, and you can see, uh, you know, if, if a 16-inch gun is firing, you can see the shell pass over. This you can see the shell because it's so enormous. <laughs> yeah, it's God, just absolutely amazing. But um, um, well, uh, you were you were keen to talk about about the Merville battery, and I think we should. Oh, no, I know. I you know what? We, we, that's another time. We'll talk about that another time. Really? You know what? Because again, like I was saying, we're peeling this, we're peeling this onion. And I went to look at look, you know, glance back at Merville battery stuff, and I got distracted by the story of Alistair Pearson, oh, uh, who's commanding officer. He's a, so a cool, power. isn't he? He's such a dude. He, extremely cool, and that that uh, and um. Just I, his management style. There's this great story. So, um, so basically, he's um, he, he's uh, second in command of eight para um, uh, with with Hill, who then becomes brigadier of mm-hmm. um, of uh, f- three uh, third parachute brigade. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and eight para is one of his battalions. Nine para is the other battalion, which is Otway's outfit. And uh, and after Italy, Pearson is sent back to the UK, and he's given an admin job at Six Airborne Division. And Windy Gale sits him down and goes, "Yeah, you, you shouldn't be an admin. You're, you're wrong for that, right?" Yeah. And uh, and so gives him eight power to command. And um, and the story. This this is. The, I, I just. I wish I had this kind of chutzpah. So apparently, what happens when he first meets the battalion? The car pulls up like that. He gets out of the car and he says. Uh, and he's and he apparently sometimes could not be understood because of his Scots accent, but I think that's that's uh, English snobs who said that. Um, to be honest, but he gets out the car and he goes and he goes, "I have never seen such a shower in all my life," and gets back in the car, drives off. That management style, it's just so beautiful. And then and then he and then and then he's you know he says I he goes back to Gale and he goes, "We need to sort this. I need to be left to my own devices to sort this." Um, uh, battalion out and Gail says fine and he says uh, uh, he says uh, uh, and I don't want anyone coming coming to see me to, to find out how I'm getting on least of all Brigadier Hill least of all my Brigadier and Gail says great no problem and sorts that and then and then at, once he's happy with them as an outfit he says to Hill all right you can come and have a look and Amazing. it's that sort of yeah autonomy that's really really interesting and then there's reflected in how he runs his battle in the Bois de Bavant um, following D-Day, which is just an extraordinary story, and yeah. you know when he when he go he doesn't know that Rosevier has blown the bridge at Troan, so he sends out a, a Dukes a, a, to 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 do it. Dukes come back comes back. They realise that they realise that there's a party of guys who are cut off, and he needs to go and rescue them. So he says to Hill, "I'll go myself because I've got the most <clears> experience, <throat> and I'll take my mortar platoon with me." Um, uh, uh, because they're the strongest and they'll be able to do the most lifting and help get these blokes out. And they go via where there's a crashed glider because they know there's a, they know there's a, because they're basically the wrong side of this blown bridge. They know there's a yep. dinghy in the glider. So they go to the glider and um, uh, blow up the dinghy and they, and they get in the river and a bloke puts his bayonet through the dinghy and it sinks, right? And Pearson bulls him out. 
And he and he says something to the effect, and this is sort of obviously the polite version, which he goes, um, well, if we get found by the Germans, then, you know, good luck to you. And I imagine that is not how that conversation actually ran. <laughs> but they get another dinghy. They get another dinghy and they're pulling people back. They're getting, getting the guys back across um, uh, uh, into the battalion area. And, they're, and they've got a truck. They're pulling a cart and it's really noisy and squeaky. And Pearson basically thinks, right, well, we're going to get shot up by our own side and he's a interestingly Pearson's a veteran of, of the battle for France and was in 52nd Lowland when they mm. were sent back in into Normandy so he's been to yep. Normandy before right. right so he's he's thinking we're going to get shot up when we when we re-enter the battalion area so he instructs the men to sing roll out the barrel because <laughs> he knows that he knows that they'll hear him coming and it can't be anyone else that's so funny. so that's what they do and he's just and then you know and then we get into that battalion essentially bayonet charging the Germans out of the Bois de Bovon. Yeah, him directing it all, you know, and it's really, 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 really hardcore. And uh, you know what? A, what a fascinating guy! And um, and he was a baker clearly, before the war. That's what I really like about him. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was a baker. Yeah, yeah. he was a baker. And a brilliant, obviously, a brilliant leader. Anyway, and there's that great that, story that about him on, in Sicily when he goes over and the, and the transport pilot wants to turn back, and he and he goes, "If you don't turn back, I'm going to shoot you." And he goes, if you shoot me, yeah. you won't be able to land. He goes, don't need to land with paratroopers. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I don't different. need to land with parachutes, pal. <laughs> parachutes, I'll get you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he just anyway, looks cool, and well, he hasn't we, got a he hasn't got an old fashioned moustache, and he just looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's super cool. Anyway, we could talk about D Day forever as, as usual. We that's, could. that's probably en- that's probably enough, isn't it's it? It's probably enough, isn't it? You know, wet the appetite. <laughs> Do you know what we have done, but we haven't really got beyond D Day. Well, I know, but the, the, well, all right. Do, oh, no, 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 no. no see no, a D plus one to D plus seventy-seven. Oh no! <laughs> see you in Paris, James. Yeah. Well, thanks no. very much, everyone, for listening. Um, uh, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this little snippet of D-Day uh, uh, cud chewing. Um, we'll see you soon. Yeah, I just want to have one little plug, and that is that um, actually beyond the beaches is um, this TV series I did last year. Uh, with oh, yeah. Dr. Mike Simpson, U.S. Special Forces, ex-U.S. Yeah. Army Ranger, was on the Osama Bin Laden raid. Um, he's a very cool guy. Um, and it is available to watch now on normandy44.info. normandy44.info. There yep. you go, everyone. Should Thanks be on Amazon, but Cheerio. it's taken two months to load up. Now, what can you do? Cheerio, everyone. Oh, dear. <laughs>